trying to take away our voice. Who's trying to take away your voice? Well, that that person who made the uh, Berlin Nail uh, ratings oh, yeah. compilation. They oh yeah, me that's out. true. That, that's some uh, off-pod business. That there's this website, Can Ratings, and it's like a. You think it's going to be a good thing I with know. a name like that? <laughs> yeah, uh, like a Mister Skin style situation, but it's not <laughs> oh, like yeah, Mister sorry. Skin for art house movies or something yeah. specifically. I guess Mister Skin well, does no, do that. I, though, I think too. JT was just referring to cans, but like C A N, like can ratings. Yeah. I mean, either works. But I, I like I'm, where it goes. I'm, I'm doubling art up. house titties. Yeah, yeah. we're layering. Well, I think plenty of people have compiled those. Uh, but anyway, there is a website <laughs> that compiles the scores of the accredited, uh, you know, journalists or whatever at Berlin Ale, at Berlin. And uh, there were some there were some sites to behold. You know, it's just funny seeing my first name uh, among the ranks of first and last names of established critics. It was funny to see the certain auteur of the film Penis Boy among the highest uh, ratings for the scary of 61st and it was funny to see Malcolm's name crossed off on every single entry <laughs> but my rating's still there so that's kind of I don't know what's meant by that I guess like maybe I'm I'm lesser like I don't maybe are they just trying to belittle me at first I thought maybe it was just one person per outlet or something like that but Jesus. Uh, but JT's reviews stand on most of them. I think you're crossed out maybe once, but like uh, for the most part, you're there. Yeah, no, I don't know what it is. I think, I, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> well, that's our website review for the, you know, a lot of people <laughs> think that the website review segment is just like some shameless thing where we plug our Patreon, but I'm looking at all kinds of websites. They say, oh, there's only five websites anymore. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm here to I'm here to prove that wrong and you know shine a light on some other websites. This one, not so hot. But we, you know, it features it, it features all of our names. Yeah, I like seeing my name on a website. <laughs> I love seeing my name on a website. That's why I started a podcast. <laughs> I, I get. I, I like seeing my name crossed out on a website. You know? <laughs> That's so true. Let's yeah. me know where I'm not welcome. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know where we wouldn't be welcome. Whoa. I hate to say it the navy or do you think we would fit right in in the navy what do you mean sergeant <laughs> go ahead and give me 50 and swab the brig uh back to major malcolm <laughs> maybe maybe a, a maggot like you wouldn't be prepared for the the trip uh yeah uh, i'm done for the uh <laughs> i think that's the better one the stuttering arlie ermy type from a few weeks ago now look here it's a film called uh, The Last Detail, and um, pretty sure it's one of these new Hollywood freaks, <laughs> Hal Ashby. Anyway, uh, 1973's The Last Detail is the subject of today's episode. How did I find out about this film? See, I watched a film by Sir Richard Linklater uh, called The Last Flag Flying, and then I found out that there's a prequel. Uh, made back in New Hollywood when all those hippies were running around with their movie cameras, you know, not making any sense, uh, overlapping dialogue, smoking pot, not having, uh, <coughs> having very bitter and cynical endings and outcomes and themes to their movies. And I was just like, I guess I'll check it out. Yeah. And it was fucking great. I love the last detail. I was shocked by how much I loved this movie. Well, you know, I'm good, you know, because I feel like maybe... I'm good's kind of a weird response to that, but I, I meant that's good. That's good 
because I feel like part of the reason why I was so dissatisfied with last flag flying, and maybe this isn't a fair way to assess it, but it's like, it's so doesn't really have the same sentiment as like the last detail has, you know what I mean? And if you're going to, you know, the IP wars nowadays, you know, they're making Polly pocket movies. Link later got in early. He's like last detail. (laughs) It's going to be big. There's going to be a third one where Steve Carell's back playing Michael Schultz or whatever. Or what's his name? Michael Scott. Michael Scott. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that. <laughs> Michael Schultz was so far off. I have no idea who Michael Schultz. He must be a name. Um, but but yeah, I don't. I this is one of the first new Hollywood movies I remember seeing. It kind of introduced me to kind of to like uh, like what new Hollywood movies are about. And so I always kind of have a you know, a soft spot for it. And you know, rewatching it this time around, I felt the same way as I did you know a while back when I watched it for the first time. Still love it. Yeah. Uh, JT, how'd you feel about this one? Yeah, I loved it. I was uh, always curious about this one because I was a twee to the bone as a youth, (laughs) and I loved uh, Harold. (laughs) 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 Twee. Yeah, and I loved Harold and Maude. I mean, I'm sure I'd love it a lot less now, but I was... Like it left an impression on me where I was curious enough about Ashby's work, and yeah, this was fantastic. It has I don't know such a fun meandering quality that I love in movies. Yeah, I think you and I both have a similar Ashby history where we just have one that we saw as a kid uh, in terms of his like big fictional movies. At least I know he has the Neil Young concert film Solo Trans that I'm very much looking forward to seeing when I reach it in my Neil Young chronological journey, of course. <laughs> Uh, But I saw Being There uh, in 11th grade English class. It was one of those watch the book and then the reward for, or sorry, read the book. And then the reward for reading the book is getting to watch the movie over the course of three class periods. (laughs) Uh, So I I didn't really remember much other than Peter Sellers being a quiet, goofy guy. Uh, You know, much to say of Hal Ashby's oeuvre. But then I think about a year ago, I watched The Landlord. Uh, which is fucking awesome. But it's also very much from the voice of its screenwriter, Bill Gunn, who you may know from Personal Problems, which he directed about a decade after that. Uh, It it very much feels like his uh, kind of radical screenplay going up against the new Hollywood style, and it kind of... It results in a really interesting film, but I was really itching to see a, you know, down-to-the-bone Hal Ashby, Hal Ashby movie... And I feel like the last detail was just that. Yeah. You know, thinking about his other like movies around this era, I guess Shampoo, a movie that comes to mind, very similar in that like it uh, takes kind of like the like the likability of the actor of the main character with that. It's like Warren Beatty or whatever. And he's like a, you know, a hairstylist playboy. And this, you know, much more humble guy. We got Jack Nicholson. He's just doing his job. He's bringing, you know, Randy Quaid to the uh, to the brig. Or whatever. I wouldn't quite yeah, say humble. he's humble, though. No, no, he calls no, himself well, badass. Well, no, well, yeah, not humble. But I just in his his position in in life is less lavish than that of a mm-hmm. a luxurious, uh, you know, hairdresser. Yeah, he's not humble. Yeah, I guess he just uh, he's a hard worker, and yeah, he's he's actually not humble. He's kind of like an outward <laughs> asshole, kind of like a guy who seems to go by kind of instinct or whatever. Kind of a, like a, a pretty much an iteration, kind of of like. Nicholson's kind of like uh, charm around that era, but kind of recontextualized. And I think it's interesting to see it in like this Navy setting where, you know, he has to be beholden to the man. 
I also think that somehow, despite the fact that there is zero water in this Navy movie, uh, it's still like beautiful to look at. I thought there was going to be some good boat stuff, but it turns out this whole movie is just them on trains and shit. Uh, but the visual style is really great. It's weird because I'm used to the new Hollywood style of cinematography, you know, cinemascope, a little more muddy, a little more brown than this even, which is quite brown. Uh, but just the general textures of it in the very grainy film stock felt more like 60s art house kind of than like new Hollywood. Uh, I, I don't know. I was really into the visual look of this film, especially at the outset where we meet badass played by Jack Nicholson and his buddy Mule, who he's going to go on this detail with, and the prisoner uh, played by Randy Quaid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget. What, I always for, every time a Quaid brother is in a movie, I say their first name with a question mark on this podcast. <laughs> I, you know what? I mean, I'm they've had their due, but I, what a talented family! I don't know. Oh, I'm yeah. a big fan of Dennis and Randy. Always happy to see him in a movie. You know what? You can't go wrong when you got one of the Quaids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think there's what do you call it? Uh, you know, I don't need to go into it, but there's some horror movie with Dennis Quaid like two years ago that kind of sucked, but he was great, and and he, that's why I watched it. The Intruder, uh, that's what it's called. Oh, The Intruder. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that that Navy base is like very gray and grim kind of in a way that kind of reminds me of the austere 60s uh, like European art house movies almost. And uh, it, I think it's just so carefully framed by Ashby that it also gives that feeling and the introduction of Jack, you know, drunk, reclining on that seat, not wanting to go on whatever work they're giving him because he's waiting for his proper orders. And then it turns out that he's put on this detail, of course, where he's bringing this guy to the brig. And him and Mule are technically, I guess, just both awaiting proper orders for what they're going to be doing. And so they take this journey and they realize very early on, or at least, you know, badass realizes that they gave them a surplus of both time and money to get this guy to the brig. So they're going to make the most out of this trip, milking as many days of vacation as they can. And, uh, you know, it fits in perfectly with the laid back and very cynical uh, 70s feeling of New Hollywood. And I think the filmmaking really uh, bounces off of that vibe really well. In its, like, structure, it reminds me a lot of sort of the rambling Clint Eastwood road movies, like Honky Tonk Man, The Mule, Perfect World, and just sort of, like, you, you, sorry, I I guess I'll just let that go. Um, That's the timer. The episode's over. (laughs) Clocking out for the day. It was a short one, but Boss Man says it's time to go home. (laughs) Gotta clear out. Next pod's coming in here right now. (laughs) But yeah, it reminds me of those Eastwood movies because I feel like there's that cynicism present. And like right from the very beginning of the last detail, like, you know, it's like fucked and like they have to do a terrible thing by like throwing away this young man's future. But there's a lot of like beauty and humanism there and just little moments like getting like a a 50 cent sausage sandwich. And just like hanging out and I don't know, it's there are obviously a lot of parts where it's like pretty negative about the journey that they're going on. But there's so much beauty and life in the like empathetic human moments. No, Yeah, I think like the tone in this movie is pretty important. It hits like a bittersweet tone with it, like kind of weighing 
a little bit more bitter, you know, a little bit more bitter, but it does like the Randy Quaid character being 18, kind of just being a boy, you know, he gets to learn, um, I guess some lessons from some badass or just, you know, gets to live life a little recklessly with badass and mule and whatnot. And him kind of, it seems that, you know, this is might be the first time he's ever had some, you know, adult fun or whatever. And so seeing badass and mule kind of guide Quaid through that journey, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, like you said, there's like that, you know, Costner little kid dynamic that Mm -hmm. we find in a perfect world that's found here that kind of makes, you know, all the debauchery a little bit more sweet. You know, they're going to get uh, a prostitute for him, you know, and when he, when he busts early, you know, they tell him it's okay. (laughs) Uh, It's it's happened to the best of us. And unlike something like uh, the mule or uh, a perfect world to use those Clint Eastwood road movies as examples, there is no solid antagonistic force following them on the road uh it is more of just time and impeding doom kind of like how honky tonk man is his impeding death from illness this one is just the impeding doom of them dropping this guy off at the brig to serve eight years for attempting to steal 40 dollars from a polio collection box when I'm pretty sure there was a cure for polio by the time uh, that this movie takes place. But, you know, maybe that's even a a deeper level of irony and cynicism. Throughout the movie, you could kind of tell, especially badass, maybe Mule's more of a guy who just like, you know, let's just do our job, get things over with. Like most people, badass, you could tell he's kind of, he feels confined by, you know, he feels bad about having to take this kid to jail for eight years. You know what I mean? And he kind of makes him reflect Uh, You know, on just like kind of how shitty, you know, this operation is and how poorly it's run. And so like, yeah, maybe them kind of using that vacation is kind of his his way of getting out his frustrations of like, you know, him being a lifer, as Mule seems to say a lot. You know, we're going to be in the the Navy for life. And I don't I don't know if badass is really with that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the last lines in the movie uh, or it's toward the end, at least where. Uh, Mule, or uh, then finally, uh, after Mule says it throughout the movie, Badass, uh, says the refrain, I guess we're just a couple of lifers. And it's said with such pessimism. Like, they know that just like how Meadows, uh, Randy Quaid's character, is going to spend the next, you know, at least eight years in the brig and just having to work himself up from the bottom after jail time, um, they're not going to have much better of a journey. They're still going to be in that you know, complex of the Navy where they're kind of in limbo until another war happens, uh, but they're still living this insanely regimented life. And it feels like uh, badass. He has carved out his own little lane where he can get by because of the ridiculous bureaucratic hoops that you have to jump through to get things done, it seems like, in the military, where he just gets to kind of drink and await orders and stuff. And so he always wants to do things on his terms, even if it is bringing a guy that he is now befriending uh, to spend the next eight years of his life in prison. The little lessons that he learns, too, also, like, not great. Like, it's really (laughs) cynical in that matter. It's funny because it picks up another new Hollywood thread 
Jack Nicholson being a jerk to people waiting at restaurants. <laughs> you get the iconic scene in Five Easy Pieces, of course, where he wants a fucking tuna salad sandwich with no lettuce and, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> he, like, fucking wrecks the table and ruins the waitress's day. <laughs> a more reasonable approach here. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> this one, you know, he, you know, he just teaches uh, Randy Quaid that if you're if it's not what you ordered, you can you can send it back. You know, that's not the worst thing in the yeah, world. Yeah, right. I do it with can a little all... bit of attitude. But, yeah, uh... <laughs> that's true. Yeah, maybe the attitude. You know, maybe no attitude. But if it's if you want the cheese melt, hey man, I'm here to say. There's no shame in asking the winner to reheat the cheese. Yeah. Well, I like it's like they're like all of the messages are like kind of like a step too far from being yeah. good. Get, they get him a drink and whatnot. I mean, admittedly, they have that very aggressive encounter with the bartender first. But that's like, I don't know, good natured, let loose, like have a little fun. But then they're just fucking wasted all night long. And it's just, I don't know, so miserable. Yeah, and it is like, it's funny seeing like, you know, badass interact with Quaid. You know, it's like trying to get Quaid to get into his like animalistic instincts. You know what I mean? Don't you ever just want to smash someone's head yeah. or whatever, you know, going, going fucking uh, Fred Durst mode. Bro, um. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah um, so they go on this good times mixed with very depressing times journey for the next hour and a half or so. They stop uh, along the Eastern seaboard. I guess they go to Philly, they go to New Jersey, they go to New York and they're just gallivanting around town, just having a good old time, stopping for food, stopping for drinks. And there's just a lot of scenes that luxuriate in the time that they spend together building this bond in an unlikely place, of course. And it seems like a pretty basic setup for a movie, but I guess it's just more credit to Ashby as a filmmaker and all three actors, particularly Jack Nicholson, of course, uh, just carrying this movie with pure charisma and chemistry. I like that the sense of time in the movie just sort of like fades into each other. I mean, I think the dissolves like really help with that, especially like, I don't know, there's that moment where uh, Mule is really like standing up uh, to badass and they're having that fight on the train. It's just really like, I don't know, it's powerful there. But I think in general, like when we were watching it, Eddie, we were talking about, are they like, are they in Philly? Are they New York here? And everything just sort of has like, I don't know, kind of blends together mm -hmm. in a way where it's like hard to like, obviously you have a sense of like where they're at in their journey, but because it's so aimless, it just feels like it, it feels like, you know, there's an end to it, but it could go on forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I like the way it's structured too. And like, yeah, what you're talking about, I feel like it is because it like, it takes certain scenes, like the party scene to really like take its time and let it like develop and have like, uh, I don't know, different, uh, like uh like i don't know just different different things going on within the scene you know rather just being kind of a short thing you know it'll be more 20 minutes like even the beginning when they're like not talking to each other that lasts like a little while too mm -hmm. you know it's like it's not really up until like 20 to 30 minutes in it's like you know like all right now the plan is like we're gonna make sure randy quaid has fun like the first mm -hmm. 10 minutes is just like them just sitting in the train kind of being uncomfortable not talking to each other and i think that's done well too and like yeah just the way it's structured really makes every single event in the movie feel more felt yeah i mean there are scenes that feel slow on purpose while you're in them like them getting trashed in that hotel room uh, they, they're like too drunk and miss the train and then go back to the hotel and they're all smashed and then you get just like 
I don't know, I guess it dissolved to a scene of just Mule and Meadows talking and then Jack walks back in with a grocery bag full of beers. Like, after they're already just too fucked up, you know? Uh, And that night feels like it lasts forever, but also the time in between those seems seems so fleeting. And, uh, yeah, I think that the, the usage of time here is really masterful. And those dissolves, JT, oh, my goodness. So slow and so just, like, classic road trip dissolves you know you get a classic like medium close-up of a guy with a landscape passing by in the window behind him and you fade it over a huge wide shot of the vehicle he's in passing through and it's formulaic and that formula works a hundred percent of the time no yeah i think like this movie like you said is not it's not you know it's not really experimental it's pretty standard Mm -hmm. in most regards but it just hits those you know tenets of filmmaking very well because like you know this is like a very visually impressive movie not too showy i would say like there's Mm -hmm. you know sometimes it's just kind of like subtle uh you know making the shot wider or whatever that you know really uh adds some flair to it it's also like it has really great attention to you know directing actors and whatnot and like yeah that scene you're talking about where they're getting trashed in the hotel room it's like you know it kind of slows down the movie and really lets like the acting kind of uh come through in a sense Mm -hmm. I also like Jack referring to beer as the truck that made your mama suck. <laughs> oh, that's so. There's so many amazing lines. <laughs> Absolutely, it's just filled with great one-liners. Um, I also really like when they get to New York and there's the bathroom brawl between uh, <laughs> them three and the. A handful of Marines that they see there. And the setup is so weird. Jack's just taking a piss and you see it played off of a mirror. And the staging is so strange, just people crossing in different directions. But if you keep your eye on Jack, you just see him like fiddling with himself because he has that crazy uniform on. And one of them makes a crack about how many buttons he has to undo. And it just leads to a fist fight, recalling like, uh, which one, which John Ford was it with like the three different army navy fist fights in the middle of it? Um, is that the Wings of Eagles? I think it's, yeah, yeah it was the Wings of Eagles, Eagles. yeah. <laughs> uh, but the New York segment is definitely the most like electric part of that road trip. Uh, you have, you know, them hustling people at the bar playing darts, which is great. Just it for as much of a pessimistic downer as new Hollywood is. And even this movie is you get scenes of Jack Nicholson, just like hustling people at darts and just yelling about how much money he made afterward and just screaming on the sidewalk all the time, just going off. And it's, it's a really fucking funny movie. You know, talking about the bittersweet tone, it's not really like, it's not really like certain scenes, certain parts. It's like, they're not bitter and sweet at the same time. You have this sweet, you know, kind of like, fun moments you know uh and then it's kind of afterwards kind of the reflection or in the morning when they're they have to catch another train where they're you know it's kind of like well it's just another day closer to we're putting them in jail you know what i mean and it's like the more fun you have with this guy it's like it's harder to you know put him away for eight years you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's like uh you know you don't want to do you don't want to take a pet in for five days and you know just uh you know shoo it away you know what i mean so it's like it's uh yeah, it kind of things get a little bit more complex and difficult emotionally as things go on. I think that's handled really well. I love like just Quay's performance in this because his character is so interior for most of it. I mean, there are like outbursts and things like that, but just I don't know, little notes uh I love so much. Like the way when 
he's like talking to that like hippie girl that he doesn't wind up fucking <laughs> um where he's telling her that like uh the two guys are his best friends and it's just like he's like genuinely like happy in that moment like saying that but it's such a pathetic line just yeah. because mm-hmm. it's like he could like try and make a break for it and well, escape. Well cuz she's telling him to make a break for yeah. it and he's mm-hmm. like uh I can't do that to them. They're my best friends. <laughs> and uh the also uh the, they're only at that party because him and that girl are in a similar uh cult of chanting, I guess Randy Quaid joined it when they visited uh that room where people are just chanting all these positive affirmations and you know, Jack Nicholson calls him a bunch of candy asses afterwards, <laughs> and, which is great. But uh that that party that the three of them go to is it is such a great scene. You have the classic uh, aggressive hippie who's just like questioning everything they do you have jack nicholson trying to you know lay it down nice and smooth for some ladies but they're just there because they think their boy's gonna get some pussy off of this chanting shit and uh it, what is it that mule says at the end of the night any pussy you get in this life you're gonna have to pay for one way or the other <laughs> another life another life lesson learned there brother yeah, yeah. so uh, they do go to pay for some. they go uh, <laughs> they go looking for a whorehouse it's great they uh they get in a cab and ask him where one is and he He's like, doesn't even accept a tip because he's like, I have a deal worked out with this whorehouse on the back end. It's like, take me to the, take me to the good one, not the one you have a deal with. Yeah. What are you? Uh, what am I, a tourist? Come on. <laughs> uh, even before that, though, I love when they go in that like porn shop and Randy Quaid's just looking at pictures. Check Nichols is just taunting him about eating girls out, you know, talking about yodeling in the canyon or whatever. Pretty gross. Uh, <laughs> but I, I love how shocked uh, Randy Quaid is by those pictures. He's like, are they doing it for real or are they just pretending for these pictures? He's probably showing him porn for the first time. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. He never got to buy it because he was only 18. Makes you, makes you think. <laughs> it what does if, make you think. What if you never saw porn until you were 18? Wow. Kind of a social experiment. <laughs> social experiment. <laughs> well, he turned 18 before he joined the Navy, I would assume. Unless well, he joined the Navy on his 18th birthday. True, but, you know, he seems like a, a timid guy, you know what I mean? I don't know if he's going to walk in there and be like, you know, I'll take big butt blasters for. You well, know I don't I think mean? they made pornos quite like that back in the day. <laughs> Uh, so you so you've studied this stuff you know about it you know a lot about this uh to be ashamed of what 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 would be an example of an old porn title from back then then for what like uh, i mean just give me something you know what (laughs) no (laughs) that's the least sexiest thing you could have said to me thank you i would hate to have said the most sexiest well you, you, you had your goal you completed it so he uh, gets the deal at the whorehouse, gets to get laid for the first time by Carol Kane in all of her new Hollywood glory. But pussy got the deal. <laughs> yes. Ching. Uh, and it's classic. She's just like washing him off because he's a gross, sweaty sailor, and he nuts uh, when he's when she's washing him off, and then he goes for another round and. Uh, says some very dorky, uh, virginal things to her in a very uncomfortable, kind of funny scene. And uh, it's it's kind of sweet, you know? No, yeah, it, it is. And like uh, like I, I mentioned before, like it is funny how like they both of them kind of console him after he busts early. And I love the noise he made. It sounds like he's got like ice on his back or something. <laughs> it's like, like he's slipping Ooh! and falling. <laughs> 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 
pretty funny st- like it's it's also like right when the zipper opens too it's yeah kind of, it's like a yeah. jack-in-the-box type thing you know um and i love that after uh <laughs> fucking jack badass uh, tells him welcome to the wonderful world of pussy kid <laughs> i'm gonna start saying that to people. <laughs> oh god <laughs> See, I'm just gonna act like a badass. That's the lesson I got from here. I'm, I'm fucking, I'm cool. <laughs> did I ever? T- did I already tell you guys the welcome to the world of AIDS thing? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, Not that was familiar. like. See, that's the thing. I thought that was like a common urban legend, but apparently it wasn't because you guys aren't familiar with it. But I feel like I talked about it recently enough to where it may have been on the pod. I guess not. Well, what no. is it? I, I it was just this like that. urban legend you would hear where it was like, yeah, dude, my like older sister went to a party and then like she just like felt something in her arm and took it out and it was like a needle and the needle had a note on it that said, welcome to the world of AIDS. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> That's a wild urban legend. Yeah. No, I haven't. It was always said at like a rave, you know, like to get, I, I maybe it was made up by parents to get kids not to go to raves. I was going to say, yeah, maybe <laughs> my bandits sticking AIDS needles in people <laughs> left and right. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, but yeah, it's a it's a bitter ending, you know. He uh, they they have their shitty little hot dog picnic at the park where Jack forgets to get the buns, and then uh, he runs away, and they have to chase him down, and Jack just beats the ever living shit out of him with his gun, uh, and it's all played in a wide shot too, and then once in a while it cuts back to like the POV basically where it looks like Jack is just shaking the camera pretty much. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's an intense, uh, scene and then they have to cover for Randy Quaid after they drop him off and just say, yeah, he wasn't even trying to run away because they want to get him off a couple of years for good behavior. Yeah. And then they just kind of just walk away and kind of, you know, have, you know, they're just kind of like, well, I guess we'll just go back to where we where we started from. Maybe we'll get our fucking orders. <laughs> yeah, they don't even like want to spend more time with each other. They're just like, "Oh, we're going to go our separate ways." Yeah, that's work. Yeah, that's I mean, it's you know, it's fun hanging out with, you know, your friends at work, but then you're like, "All right, I got to get back to to real life real quick." 